I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can subscribe any place where you get podcasts iTunes, any place like that, podcast apps, whatever. You can also catch my live radio show five days a week, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on KMZQ in Las Vegas. If you forget all of that, go to HeidiHarris.com. This is going to be a really, really important podcast because it's going to deal with human trafficking, and it's so important. My guest is Rebecca Bender. She's got a fantastic new book. It's called In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Trafficked to Triumphant. And boy, is she. She speaks all over the country about the evils of trafficking. She knows what it's like. She's been through it firsthand. Rebecca, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, it's such a huge issue, certainly here in Las Vegas. Talk a little bit about how you got into this to begin with, because I've heard folks say, on the vice side of things, that pimps are the greatest psychologists in the world. Talk a little bit about how you were lured into something that you never saw coming and certainly never planned to do. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm, your cop is right. They're very, unfortunately, they could harness that that energy for good, right? One thing I, I think is important to, to start out by saying is that pimps have all different um, shapes, sizes, colors, socioeconomic backgrounds that we tend to have a stereotype that comes to mind when we use that word, but there's actually 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone, from cantinas to illicit massage to online prostitution, escort, street um, prostitution, brothel. Like, it's it's all different types, whether you live in rural America and you're, you know, unfortunately seeing familial trafficking to sometimes gangs that are, are switching from drugs and guns to also adding people to their kind of, you know, product line, for lack of better words. Um, and so it looks very different based on kind of the culture and community in which you live. So the term pimp, I know we all think of something that comes to mind, but just, you know, keep in mind that this can be anyone. This can be anybody and anyone in communities, and, and they definitely have a way to learn how to manipulate and coerce and defraud the most vulnerable people in our communities into exploitation so that they can profit. That's so you know, true. Sex, commercial sex is a multi-billion dollar industry in our nation and, and globally, really. And if we don't think that bad guys are trying to get a slice of that pie, then we're being naive. So, you know, bad guys are jumping on the commercial sex train and, and trying to profit off of, off of whatever they can. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty shocking. It, it really is because a lot of folks who don't know better will say, oh, it's only the bad girls who get caught up in that. And that is so far from the truth. I've talked to so many people who were not at all, quote unquote, bad girls who got sucked into that lifestyle, manipulated into it, I should say. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I guess I would be considered what I would consider an average all-American small town kid. I was born and raised in a tiny farm town of about 3,000 people. My graduating class had 80 kids. Um, I, my dad worked at the local lumber mill. My grandpa, my, two of my uncles. I mean, the whole little city kind of revolved around the lumber mill. And so it was a very blue-collar, middle-class community. Um, I grew up skipping rocks at swim holes, you know, riding my bike down to the neighbors, throwing feed to the cows before you go to school, picking a tomato out in the garden with a salt shaker every summer. Just a real average small town kid and my parents divorced when I was nine it was um it was an ugly divorce my I wasn't raised in a faith-based home but my grandma was a praying grandma and I was taken to Sunday school or Awana's or vacation bible school as a kid when my parents divorced like I said it was real ugly and so even from a good home quote unquote 
there were moments during those kind of next three years after the divorce that created, I can remember, some real deep-seated. I can remember now that I'm older, I can look back and see that this is kind of where some deep-rooted vulnerabilities took place of feeling unseen, unwanted, and unimportant, um, especially in the midst of two adults trying to work through their own stuff and, and start their lives over. The kid, I felt very forgotten. Um, that wasn't, of course, their intention, and they're always like, oh, my gosh, we can't believe it. But, you know, we didn't mean to make you feel like that. And, but it's, the reality is, is divorce is still hurtful for kids. And my mom remarried. Um, a couple years later, we moved to a big city where we had 35,000 people. It was still pretty small town. A <laughs> big city. Yeah, a big city of 35,000. And things kind of became back to normal for me. I was a gregarious, fun kid. I was on honor roll. I was a varsity athlete. I played softball and track and cheerleading. And I was a, the varsity goalie for our girls' local soccer team. And I was very active and involved in school. I was on prom court. I was harvest ball queen. But I still didn't have a lot of boundaries. You know, my mom had just gotten remarried. And I'm looking for love because I have all these vulnerabilities from the divorce. And I was just kind of the party girl, like, yeah, I'll jump in, I'll do whatever. In hindsight, I can see, though, that God had really gifted me with this, like, spirit for adventure. And I didn't have anyone that came alongside and said, hey, I see something in you that, you know, can be harnessed or mentored in a, in a direction. And so I got myself into, you know, trouble here or there with the round boys here or there and um, accepted into university and then found out I was pregnant. And so at 18, I became a single mom trying to put myself through school, and that's when the tables turned for me. Yeah, because everything becomes more difficult when you're in that situation. You're vulnerable. You don't know how you're going to make it. Uh, you know, the father may or may not be in the picture. That just makes your life so much harder. Absolutely. And here comes this guy with this, you know, like you said, the best psychologist, the best manipulators. Um, I actually saw a trafficker wrote an article that got published that was called How to Use Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs to traffic young women. Wow. Right? And so here I am, young, naive, teen mom. Um, suddenly my life is very different. You know, I can't go out and experience all these adventures. I'm kind of like, oh, this is a real new life that I'm trying to navigate. And I'm, I'm in poverty at this point. You know, you're on, trying to, like, just get yourself through school on financial aid and, and maybe some, some government-paid daycare, you know, like, things are rough and here comes this guy that has what felt like the answer to all my problems adventure ambition he was so smart and he wanted to be a family and he was going to take care of us and and he dated me for six months and I literally felt like finally finally this is going to get better but unfortunately he was um he was a con artist, and he ended up being a, a trafficker. Do you think that his intention from the time he met you was to be a trafficker? I mean, had he trafficked other girls? I know you write about this in the book, but I'm just to explain to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. He already had a trafficked victim in Las Vegas. Um, we had met in Eugene, Oregon. So, you know, again, small town. I mean, Eugene was still bigger than where I came from, but even most people don't think of Eugene, Oregon as a place for trafficking. You don't think and of that, really? no. But yeah, he already had a girl in Vegas, and I found out later that he had actually been talking to lots of other girls, trying to get phone numbers and beginning to push their boundaries a little bit in regards to hypersexuality and, you know, kind of minimizing and downplaying 
you know, let's go to the strip club or let's go to this private party and you should just dance here and make some extra money. And, and so it's just these little tiny gradual steps. It's not, you know, suddenly A to Z. It's, it's A to B a month later to C, right? It's gradual. And of course. It's like, it's like an abusive relationship. The guy doesn't beat you up on the first date. It's very gradual. Exactly. It's mm -hmm. exactly like that. And, and, and so I found out later that, um, you know, years later, maybe even just <laughs> within the last few years, that there was other young girls that he was talking to and, and pressuring. The thing that people need to know about trafficking, though, and, and specifically helping protect our young, you know, early, young adults or late teens people that we love from trafficking, is that traffickers are always on the, the prowl for their next victim. They're always trying to get somebody to kind of step up to the plate as the next up to bat. They're in a constant state of grooming because they don't know when one girl is going to run off in the middle of the night, end up in jail, God forbid, murdered by a buyer and, you know, strangled to death like we've seen happen with lots of women in prostitution. And so they're always kind of trying to keep victims, whether it's someone in the grooming cycle that they're about to turn out or they're just casting their net by getting their phone number out to 10 girls and see who's kind of responding or who's putting up too much of a fight in regards to that hypersexual boundary they keep pushing. And so they're always having like four or five different girls that are in different cycles of, or stages that we would call it of, of trafficking. It's unbelievable. And as you mentioned, we're speaking with Rebecca Bender. As you mentioned at the very beginning, there is different kinds of traffic. I mean, there are people who are brought over to this country illegally and stuck in a massage parlor. They don't have a choice. There are people who are brought into the fields to service the farm workers, and they're brought from south of the border. And there are stories, you know, we know about the horrible stories about children who are abused on video and things like that. It can happen. We're talking about what happened to you and the psychological uh, way that they approached it. And then you wind up in Vegas, and, you know, because they'll do all these nice things for you, right? And then they'll say, oh, well, now that I've done all this for you, we're a little short on cash. I really need you to help me out. Absolutely. And everyone's different. Everyone has a different tactic. I've seen girls we've worked with, you know, they'll say, oh, let's go to this big concert. Let's go away for the weekend. And they take the girl as they think it's a boyfriend that they're going to go on this vacation with. And three days into the concert trip, the guy's like, hey, I actually ran out of money to pay for our hotel tonight. And the girl's like, what? You know, and, and he's like, yeah, but why don't you just go to the strip club right next door and just earn the money back? It's not like you haven't been in a bikini in your pool. I mean, I use that analogy a lot because I've heard it myself, but that it's little, it's little. And so you're thinking, okay, well, it's just a Friday night. And, and yet he's kind of, he's purposefully slowly sinking you into the water to see how far he can get you. In my case, I moved to Vegas. He told me that his job was relocating him. And I moved to Vegas, and he said that um, he had spent a ton of money on the move. That was money he was using for his job, and that I needed to get the money back, That you know, the money that was going to take care of us with his career. Yeah, it's always and, us. We, we, the family, are taking care of all of us, your daughter, him. That's the way you envision it. Oh, my gosh, I've got a responsibility here now. They make everything about it's a we. Everything's a we. It's, it's this. It's this ideology that you're replacing with a new ideology where it becomes like a community. It becomes a family. It becomes your dream and your goal and your future. 
And you take a lot more ownership when it feels like it's mine. Right. Um, we all know that that's the difference between renting and owning homes, right? You take take more ownership when you know that you are going to be have to be the one that fixes that broken fridge to keep leaving right. the door open. You know, um, it's that similar thing. And and what's fascinating is that traffickers teach one another this. There's online forums that they can create an account and teach each other these type of tactics. Wow. They write books. They write articles. This isn't someone stumbling on becoming a trafficker. It's a deliberate way to get into a certain type of organized crime and learn its methodology. That's incredible. We're speaking with Rebecca Bender. Her brand new book is called In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Trafficked to Triumphant. I was going to just ask you about that. How is it that these pimps all learn these same tricks? And I, I had no idea there were online forums. I mean, I am such a sheltered child when it comes to this. I've talked to many girls who've been in the life, the game, whatever they want to call it, um, over the years, but I had no idea there were forums for pimps to learn how to uh, psychologically manipulate girls. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's such a dark side of the world, Rebecca. And I know you're out of it now, and I know you talk quite a bit about it in your book, what you were doing and, and how you got out of it. And it's, it's such a dark side of the world. Did you ever imagine that there was such a dark side to the world at that point? Yeah, I think, you know, very much like you're saying, I, I was so sheltered as a small town girl. I, what, uh, what lured me was also being so excited about seeing big city and you know i can remember flying into vegas for the first time and and the lights from outside the plane as you fly and it's it's invigorating it's um exhilarating whatever the word is it's all of it right and it's like wow this is this whole world that i knew nothing about as the small town farm girl and so part of its naivety um and then, yeah, you definitely, I mean, even during my time being trafficked, it's a lot of questions we get often are about my family. Well, why didn't your mom know? Well, why didn't your parents help you? Well, why didn't you call home? And usually, you know, my response is no small town family thinks human trafficking, right? We all envision trafficking as kidnapped nine-year-olds smuggled across borders or in foreign countries. And so... For my family, 20 years ago, they thought something's wrong. They knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. They were like, is this domestic violence? My grandma actually tried to give me $200 to get me to like leave this boy that's heading on me. Right? Like, he, she didn't. She didn't they understand didn't it. Well, it's almost, it, 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 and it's hard for them to understand. And also one of the things that happens is once you cross that line and you go into the point where you are now prostituting yourself, it, it, the guys will threaten you. I'm going to tell your family. I'm going to kill your family if you leave. You know, they're all going to think you're trash now. There's that. You know that you're doing something you think. For him, psychologically, you're doing something to benefit the quote-unquote family. But you also know that you're not proud of what you're doing and you don't want your family to know. And that's another way to manipulate you into staying. Absolutely. And so then, right, it's arguably we're not prostituting ourselves. We're being prostituted. That's we're true. Being trafficked. Right. We're being forced into human, into modern day, you know, prostitution because we're not profiting off of it. You don't keep any money. Every single dollar is taken from you by these traffickers. Oftentimes after every single call, traffickers will wait outside in their car, outside down the street from the driveway, right outside the elevator in the parking garage. And as soon as you walk out that door, they take every single dollar from yeah. you. And you don't, and you don't and so, dare, you don't dare hold back anything because you know they'll beat the hell out of you. They'll check your car. They'll check your clothes. I mean, there's just no way to be able to avoid paying all the two of them. You can't hide it. Yeah, and sometimes you do. I mean, it's in the in the game, that's what we call stacking, and it's definitely a punishable offense if you break that rule. If you're found to stack money, and you know, we had a girl 
that was in my home, one of the victims in the home with me, she had put, I can't remember, 20 or 50 bucks aside um, for a birthday present that she was going to buy our trafficker. Now, mind you, she had been trafficked for almost 17 years with this guy. Wow. And she had put in 20 bucks aside, like put them in a top drawer or something, you know. And she's thinking, I've been here 17 years. I've never stacked money. I'm compliant. You know, I, I, I completely drank the Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm brainwashed to be in this cult. And he found the 20 bucks or 50 bucks, however much again, and he beat her. And she's like, I've put money aside to buy you a present so I wouldn't have to go, like, ask you for money to buy your own birthday present. Wow. And still, after that long, beating her for having 20 bucks in a top drawer. I mean, the type of mental trauma that happens with that kind of abuse is really hard for healthy adults to wrap their brain around. Um, but it's very much, I mean, Hitler had these same tactics, right? Keep the life small, keep it simple, tell a Tell it, say it over and over again, and eventually they believe it. That's true. That's, that's what a quote from him. You know, the other thing he did is he would punish other people by watching abuse of others, right? And and so psychologically, something is really these aren't terms we're just making up as girls forced into prostitution, like Stockholm syndrome, capture bonding, trauma bonding. Those are real psychological disorders and diagnoses that that we have. It's Absolutely. not something we're making up. And people need to read your book to really understand this because it, it's, it is absolutely, it, it's, you know, it's like a classic case of what goes on. And then you start to feel as if what you're doing is right. I mean, there's no way that you can be psychologically healthy and stay in this environment. So your mind gets as bent as theirs. Once again, Rebecca Bender, the book is In Pursuit of Love, One Woman's Journey from Trafficked to Triumphant. And it's an amazing book. And I don't want to give the whole thing away. I want people to read it because I want every parent to read this book. I want everybody to read this book. And anybody who says that sex, uh, I love when they say sex workers, anybody who says that sex work is nothing other than a transaction between two people, I want you to address that. And then I want you to tell me where people can get help, because I know you're speaking all over the place now, trying to help people. And I applaud you for that. But I want people to read your book to see how you got out of this. Talk a little bit about this ridiculous notion that sex work, I'm using air quotes here, sex work mm -hmm. is legitimate work and should be protected and respected and all that. This is the biggest debate that we have in our nation right now. We have several states that are trying to fully decriminalize prostitution. Um, and even presidential candidates that are really kind of taking a look at this as part of their policy reform initiatives or, um, you know, different criminal justice reform initiatives that, that are being talked about. So it's a huge hot topic in our country. And I think it's kind of on the backside of, the, of what we've done with legalizing marijuana. Is people are thinking, well, if every state just individually decides and it's taxable, it's protected and all these things. But we also have seen some things that I think no one was expecting with the issue of legalized marijuana, especially because I'm from Oregon. So we see a lot more issues than a lot of people oh, because yeah. we, we have people buying up land constantly, right? And, and it's been really hard for the, the average person to, to buy a home because it's just prices are crazy. So it's similar. I think it's going to be similar things. Um, this is not work like any other work. When you live in a prolonged state of fear, when you don't know every day if you're going to come home alive, when you don't know every time you knock on a door, and so you're right, seeing maybe 10 people a night, 5 to 10, every time you knock on that door, you don't know if you're going to be raped, beaten, locked in a room, strangled to death. This is a constant state of fear. And so the mental, the psychological harm of living in prolonged fear, our anxiety, depression, 
suicide, let alone all of the things that happen within within a pro-sex work kind of field. You're you're being sexually assaulted. You're and even if someone's like, well, then they can call the cops. Yeah, it doesn't make the trauma go away. It doesn't make that event not happen just because you can call the cops. Like people, girls are raped on campus all the time, and even boys, right? They're raped on college campuses, and just because they can call the cops doesn't mean that that didn't greatly impact their life. Right, or that, the, so, or that the perpetrator will be caught or justice will be served. That doesn't mean their life's going to be just like it was the day before this happened. That's not going to be the exactly. case. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the reality is, is that this is, this is not a job like any other job because no other job has this type of fear and abuse and trauma and trips to the emergency room and seeing younger and younger people recruited into the brothel that you're in. Um, this is my... My dad, he works at, uh, he works at, we call it Republic, which is a, tra- he's a trash guy. And, and he doesn't have this kind of fear when he goes to work every morning. He right. doesn't say, I wonder if I'm going to live today. I wonder if I'm going to die today. I wonder if I'm going to be held at gunpoint, locked in a room today. Right? Like, these are not jobs like any other job. This is dangerous. Yeah. And it should not be fully decriminalized. By any means. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I, I, people, I just tell them, if you don't know and you honestly think that sex work is legitimate work that should be protected, you have not done your research. And I had battled with so many listeners over the years and Twitter trolls and whatnot and said, you don't know what you're talking about. And I, I had a woman one time uh, call into my show. But she called and she goes, listen, I, I want people like you to stay out of my life. Don't tell me what to do. When you hear someone like that say that, that is the small minority Yes. It's like, a, you know, we don't pass laws on 1%. That's a small minority. And generally, the people that are the loudest have the most choices. She could leave if she wants. There are many people that are trapped there that didn't call in that don't have another option. Right. That are being forced to be there, who have been abused their entire lives and don't know any other way. They have a record that's so long, it's, it's darn near impossible to get a real job. And now they have a child their, their options and their choices are so small um, because traffickers target marginalized people. They're targeting people that come from poverty. They're targeting people with high um, adverse childhood experiences. They're targeting marginalized people groups. Like, and those are the voices we don't get to hear. We right. hear the 1% with a lot of option and a, sometimes often a lot of privilege that get to call in and be like, hey, I like this. I can leave whenever I want. Well, yeah, you're the 1%. 99 of us can't leave whenever we want. Right. <laughs> so true. So true. And now you devote all of your time. And, of course, you've got little children, and that keeps you very busy. But you devote time to helping girls get out of the life, the game, whatever they want to call it. And uh, you speak all over the country. Talk a little bit about how people can get help and how they can find you and how they can find your book. Yes. So you can visit our website, RebeccaBender.org. Um, our, my book, In Pursuit of Love, is available anywhere where books are sold. And, yeah, we do a lot of work now helping equip communities on how to identify and respond to human trafficking. Um, I've trained over 100,000 law enforcement officers across the country and worked several cases. Um, we've assisted on, you know, rescues and relocations, but, but really our focus is helping raise awareness to communities, let them know that this is happening in every community across America. But my heart, I just finished getting my master's actually in, in um, biblical studies, Christian thought, in, in May. And so I love to teach. I love to speak at conferences. And I just have this heart to let all women know that they can go after the call of God regardless of their past. I, believe me, I'll be first in line <laughs> to tell you all my hardships. But look what God wants to do. And so I want, 
I want women to know that their story matters. And um, we've been speaking all over now, doing lots of things beyond just trafficking, lots of, all sorts of different conferences, helping people get inspired to move beyond their past. That's important because it's not your past that matters. It's your future that matters, and that's what you're all about. Rebecca, you're a hero. I loved this book. I, I hated to read it because it broke my heart in some places, but it's so important. I'm glad you did it. I know it was really hard to write, and I love what you're trying to do for women to empower them now because you, you're not your past. You're your future, all of us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget that you can find me five days a week, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on KMZQ in Las Vegas. That's AM 670. If you forget all that, check out HeidiHarris.com for information about my two books that I've got written so far. I'm working on another one, but I've got two out so far. And, of course, I've got other podcasts up there, blog posts, whatnot, at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose, and I'm so glad people like Rebecca Bender found it. Here's Tony Scottwell.